You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Wepa! What up, man? This is your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders Podcast, and today... Woo, we have a treat for you. Got an amazing creator here. I mean, he's an actor, he's a producer, comic book writer, and he's creating a brand new world using a legendary horror icon. Let me introduce the legend in the making, Mr. Rich Davis. Wait, my, what <laughs> What's going? up, Al? Hey, What's man. Up, good to see homie? you. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. I hope you are. I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic. Yo, I man. can tell, man. You got the energy. I'm loving this already, man. Yo, we we got to do it. Could come yeah. on, man. You're using a horror icon, man. <laughs> this guy has created a Cult of Dragon from Source Point Press, and and he's doing other things with this. And we're all gonna learn all about this today. Before yeah. we do all that, let's really back just a bit, just a bit, a tad, if you will. Tell us a bit about yourself, Rich. Where are you from originally, and what was your first love of fandom? Mm, oh, wow. Those are great questions. Well, where I'm from is the easy one. Uh, I was born in a little town called Sparta, Tennessee. It's the dead middle of the state and the dead middle of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's right between Knoxville and Nashville. Um, grew up there, a town of like 5,000 people. Um, had a heavy influence on um, writing, especially Cult of Dracula. You know, uh, Stephen King and, you know, says if you want to do horror, write about what scares you. And then there's the old adage, you know, write what you know. So my upbringing definitely influenced the aesthetic, that Southern Gothic appeal or, or feel uh, to Cult of Dracula. Um, so I'm very happy I grew up in that small town. Uh, moved to Wilmington, North Carolina for college, lived there, um, decided I wanted to stay, didn't want to leave the beach. Um, that's where I, I you know, launched my, uh, my acting career. And, um, hey. Uh, you know, I owned a theater there for uh, for ten years. Um, Look at, a wait a minute! Look at this guy. He's doing all this. So wow, <laughs> what got you all interested even before you even got to those places? You know, what was the spark uh, that that you said ah, I want to do things? So, damn, you're you places and opening theaters, becoming an actress. <laughs> I yeah, you know, I've um I've never been afraid to try something new, and I don't think anything's impossible. Um, so, hey, what's up, ASAP Imagination? And very glad you heard about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, so I, my life's been a lot of things, but it's never been boring. Um, you know, I graduated college, I had $200 in my pocket, and, um, I said, you know what? I'm gonna own a theater. People looked at me <laughs> like I was insane, you know, so, but I took that 200 bucks and I worked out a deal with a, a guy who owned a bar and he had a little tiny little stage. And I essentially rented that stage from him uh, three weekends a month to perform plays. And uh, so after that, you know, I saved uh, saved our nickels and dimes, shook the couch cushions, and eventually uh, bought our own theater and started producing our own shows there. Um, we, uh, in 10 years, I'm very proud to say that we produced well over 100 full-length theatrical productions, founded a film festival, um and did 52 episodes of a live weekly sitcom so what? that yeah man like the actors would come in they'd get there at six the writers would hand them the script they'd read it Amazing. they'd run through it once and then boom there was an audience right in front of them so that was exciting whoa, whoa. crazy and, uh, bro. yeah 
So, um, oh, you're the question. My fav, my first love, uh, first fandom love. Um, <laughs> it's tough because I want to, I want to just take the easy route and just say horror because I've, I loved, I've loved horror yeah. since I was a little bitty kid. Um, but I, I'd say that my first real fandom love, uh, would be Marvel Comics, specifically the X-Men. Um, I was a huge X-Men fan as a kid. For whatever reason, that story just, uh, just always resonated with me. Um, you know, so I've, uh, and the Sentinels were just amazingly cool. These giant building size robots, man. I was like, how could a kid not love that? Right. Uh, I mean, oh yeah. Well, I'm a robot fan. I started with Magic <laughs> Disease. So, you know, you talk there about we that. go, man. Yeah. And some <laughs> throw in a couple of kaiju and we got ourselves a movie here, man. Oh <laughs> yes. I love that. So that's awesome. Okay. X-Men. A lot of people, uh, was it comic book form X-Men or animated X-Men? Um, it was comic books first. Well, actually, it was role playing game first. Um, role playing. When, oh shit! Yeah. Well, wait a minute. It is the first person that ever said that the role playing game. Oh, look. What game and when? What was this? So it was that. <clears throat> excuse me. Got a little cough here. Uh, that Marvel. Um, it was Marvel superheroes role playing game. I, I have no idea who made it. Uh, but my my friend down the street lived a couple houses down. His brother was a little bit older. And he was big into D and D and all that. And so he had this Marvel superheroes role playing game and we started playing it. And the first little mission that you have on there is you're with Scott Summers and Jean Grey and you're a new mutant. You're trapped on a train um, and the Sentinels are coming. So you got to figure out what to do. And from there on, I was like, oh, my God, who are these characters? What, what are these powers? And so, you know, and I started reading the comics and then um, and then of course, X-Men, the animated series. And from oh. there. Just boom, man, X-Men. Did you have did you easily have access to comics growing up in your area? You know, uh, well, yes and no. Uh, so the little town I lived in, Sparta, did not have a comic book store. I can't hear but, Sparta without saying, you know, Sparta! This you know. is Sparta! Yeah, we, we do that at every football and basketball I'm game, sure. too. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but the next town over, uh, Cookville, uh, which is where Tennessee Tech University is, uh, they had a had one comic book store called Bob's Collector's Den. And my parents were very, very clever human beings uh, because when I was little, I really didn't like to read. You know, the only thing I wanted to do was play baseball and play video games. And I was pretty decent at both. Um, went to college on a baseball scholarship. So oh, um, look at this guy. He was almost a baseball player. Uh, what yeah, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, here? I, you know, I, there was one. Uh, there was a time I thought I was going, and then uh, and then I got to college, and I feel like, oh wow, these are what real baseball players are. You know, and I was like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not I'm not good enough to be here. But um, so yeah, but so Bob's Collectors Den was in Cookville, and so my mom and dad they tricked me. There's like. Okay, if you do well in school or if you, you know, if you do well in your baseball game, whatever, um, you know, we'll take you this weekend. We'll take you over to to Bob's and let you buy comics. Well, my little kid brain didn't realize that reading comic books was reading. Reading. Yeah. So I loved it. I ate it up, man. And, you know, I I guess I came into it at the right time, um, you know, like right around the the early to mid nineties, um, you know, and so there were like a million X-Men books out there and they were all incredible to me. Um, and so I started reading that and then I graduated to novels and now, you know, uh, that made me into an avid reader, um, not only comics, but you know, I just love to read. I love to read the newspaper. 
Um, you know, it's just, there's something about reading and processing those words that, uh, you know, just resonates with me. So it's a, it's a passion and all because my parents tricked me. <laughs> Don't you love it? Parents, evil trickeries mm-hmm. gave you a lifelong passion. Absolutely. All right. Evil geniuses. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Masterminds indeed. So mm-hmm. go. Okay. So you did, now you, you did a theater, you're saying you did all this, mm-hmm. this stuff and, and whatnot now. So where does, where does comic books come back into your life where you, now you want to create something? Uh, was that uh, always the intention to be a comic though? No. Like maybe a novel for us. Never. Never even imagined, never really no. even imagined either. <laughs> honestly. Um, you know, I was very um very insecure about my writing um until a couple of years ago. And now I'm just in I'm just insecure about it. I went from very insecure to insecure. I'm hoping to graduate to kinda insecure. You know, so we're step by step, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was pursuing a career, um, as an actor, uh, you know, I did tons of music videos and commercials and living in Wilmington with the film studio there. I mean, I essentially put myself through college doing extra work and PA work, you know, cause it was, oh, wow. it, yeah, it was, I mean, you could go and, you know, you get work a day or two and make a couple hundred bucks, you know, just standing around on a movie set, or you could go, you know, wait tables and I didn't want to wait. Movie tables, set, so. please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amen. Um, you know, so I did a ton of that and then I graduated into, you know, owning the theater. Um, and in 2013, um, I wrote, um, a, a stage play called Dracula Reimagined. And I did it kind of on a dare, uh, cause I was having lunch with a buddy of mine who was also a director and, um, he was directing a stage play of Dracula and he had a beautiful set, had a great cast, everything, but he hated the script. And he was saying, you know, there's just no such thing as a good Dracula play because the things that people found frightening in the Victorian era are not scary anymore because we've seen them done over and over again. We've seen Leslie Nielsen spoof them. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's Count Shockula is Wait. more. Are you saying that Leslie Nielsen is the reason Dracula Dracula has jumped over the shark? (laughs) Probably, yeah. It was it was probably Mel Brooks and Leslie Nielsen that that did it. (laughs) Um, You know, and so I wrote the play uh, because I told Rob I was like, you know what, I'm going to write a good Dracula stage play, and he knew if I say I'm going to do something, it gets done. So I went and I wrote the play. Um, We produced it on stage for an entire month um, in 2013. It was nominated for several North Carolina theater awards. What? Won a few, yeah, won a few of them. And oh, from there, <laughs> yeah, and from there, it. I decided I wanted to do a screenplay. Um, you know, Tony Todd um, was uh, happened to be in the audience, um, saw it one day, and told me he's like, "Rich, you don't need to let this go. You need to do something with it." So I started thinking, "Okay, we'll do a screenplay." Did you know he was there? Uh, I did not know he was going to be there, but I knew uh, about uh, about 15 minutes in when you see this giant of a man come in and, uh, you know, take up a theater seat. And you're like, holy that's a legend, bro. Yeah, man, I knew who that was. And, you know, we, he and I become friends. Um, oh, that's and, wonderful. Yeah. And so he's actually um, he's actually going to be involved uh, in the film adaptation of Cult of Dracula. Um, oh, what? So, yeah. Oh, oh so we're going to get into that, folks. Look at this guy dropping these yeah. cheeses. <laughs> it's like, yeah, where do you want to go first, man? There's there's so many different avenues. Um, you know, oh, and yeah. all, it all comes down to just, you know, just not giving up on something that you want to do. You know, it's like I could have, you know, I, I could have just written the stage play, you know, and it could have gone for 
three weeks in North Carolina and then disappeared into ether, you know, but I didn't, I stuck with it. And, um, you know, when we, after the play and I wanted to adapt it into a screenplay, um, you know, we were looking at producing, you know, like a $250,000 film, which is, you know, a, basically a micro budget for making a movie. Uh, and, um, unfortunately my wife, uh, became ill with uh, chronic kidney disease and she oh, ultimately sorry. passed away in 2020. Oh, um, gosh, my condolences. So sorry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, you know, we had to kind of had to derail the film idea, uh, you know, because it was, didn't have the time, the resources or, or the energy to put into making a movie while she was sick. So, uh, she, um, didn't want me to let go of it. And she said, okay, I get it. You know, maybe we don't do a film, you know, cause we understand how much that costs and how much time it takes, but why don't you try, uh, turning it into a comic book? And it had never occurred to me before, but writing a comic book script is very similar to writing a screenplay. So it was pretty easy for me to take what I'd already written and to convert it into the comic book um, format. And luckily throughout my insane life, I have managed to meet a lot of really cool people from a lot of really cool industries. Um, and uh, Georges Genty um, does Buffy the Vampire Slayer. is doing Mandalorian right now for mm -hmm. Marvel. Um, brilliant artist. And um, I just reached out to him and I was like, look, here's what I want to do. You know, can you guide me? And thankfully he was very uh, kind and generous with his time. And uh, he ultimately introduced me to Henry Martinez, who was the artist on the first three issues of Cult of Dracula. Um, being 2020 and everything it was, of course, COVID affected us and Henry yeah. had to drop out of the project. Um, he got sick with COVID and couldn't continue. Um, and so we picked up Puis Calzada um, and he took it from issue three on through six and also came back and did the art on uh, Rise of Dracula. And he'll be back. We're getting the band back together for Reign of Dracula, which will be out next year from Source. Oof. Oof. So, so Look at yeah. This guy. He does yeah. not stop. He does not mm -mm. stop. All right. So start talking about this. So give, give, keep us just some insight. What is Cult of Dracula before we get into that exciting news? <laughs> yeah, so Cult of Dracula is a reimagining of Bram Stoker's original tale set within a Manson family-inspired cult. So two of the things that have terrified me my entire life, <laughs> vampires and Charles Manson, and mushed them together um, into, this, into this story. And what we do, it starts very small, very Toby Hooper, Southern Gothic, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, small group, you know, this uh, this documentary film crew, uh, Abraham Van Helsing, Mina Murray and Jonathan Harker. Uh, they show up at this compound to interview uh, Robert Renfield. He's like the enigmatic leader of this cult um, called the um, um, uh, the Ordo Dracul. And they're they are they are sworn to worship an ancient blood goddess. And so Renfield is kind of the Manson guy. He's the, the guy that's on TV. Um, but what you, we find out as we go through the um, as we go through the story is the cult serves a, this ancient blood goddess. Vampires are real, and the story just unfolds from there. And so we get to go. Um, we actually, what I wanted to do with it, uh, long way of getting around to this point. What I wanted to do with the with the book is I wanted to expand vampire mythology. I wanted to add something to the way we interpret vampires. I did not want to just tell 
another story about a white Eastern European dude with a widow's peak and a tuxedo moving <laughs> into, into Victorian London and buying up all the property. There's nothing, nothing I could do with that story. It's been told so many times and so well. I would just be taking um, from what others have created if I went that route. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to add something, you know, call me crazy or arrogant. I'm probably both, but I wanted to make my mark on the Dracula mythology. So I started looking at not only vampire mythology from the Western perspective, but also a global and historical perspective because vampires do not exclusively belong to Western culture. They exist in almost every culture of any human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. There's something about this, this myth that is just primordial. So, I mean, you go to you the Cherokee nation, they have the deer woman, you go to Japan, they have Jorogumo, you go to uh, ancient Greece and look at really look at the origin of Medusa. You know, you can look at Horus from the Egyptian uh, perspective, Kali from uh, from India, the Aswang from the Philippines, all of these vampires, these vampire mythologies exist. And they're unfortunately, they're really not covered that much, you know, because we just go to the Western concept, Dracula. So what I decided, what if all of those figures throughout all of human history were Dracula, but they were interpreted differently by the people that observed her based on their cultural perspective and their time of existence? So the Cherokee, they saw the deer woman in South America. They saw La Llorona. So all of these myths could come together and suddenly I had not only Bram Stoker's work to draw from and not only the Western idea of vampires to draw from, but I could pull from any time and any place throughout human history and weave it into this tapestry. Um, so by, by expanding that mythology, I think we, I think that I have offered something out there that could potentially add to the way Dracula is interpreted and the way we see that. Cause I wanted to take, all of the themes, everything Stoker wanted to say, it's all there. It's all in the book. The, the fear of the other, the, the, the criticism of uh, hypocrisy towards sexuality, um, you know, all of that is in the book. It's just packaged in a different way that expands the, uh, expands the base of the myth. So um, it's, luckily, it's been very successful. Um, you know, the, the comic, uh, was a top 50 best selling book of 2021. Um, yes, sir. I was very proud of that. We were number 50, but you know, Hey, it still counts. Hey, to um, get ranked like that, still, you know, <laughs> yeah, first, man, you know, your um, first project out. Why not? Yeah. I mean that, yeah, nobody in the world ever expected this book to, uh, to blow up the way it did. I mean, myself included. I mean, I was convinced, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sell five copies and my mom's so going to, how did you even find the publisher to come out with it though? What was that process like Ooh. for you? You want to do this for like another hour? Uh, <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah. So, again, nothing in my life ever is a straight line. Okay. It's always this meandering, fun story. You know, um, you, know, you get, you start, you're going on one mission. Oh, side quest. Oh, side quest. And then you're like, where was I going? Um, so, uh, so I started out, um, you know, I, I, I heavily considered doing the Kickstarter route, but decided I really wanted, I wanted my book to be in comic book stores. Um, there, for some reason, that was just a point of pride for me. Um, so I started, uh, I, I hired my artist, I hired my colorist, I hired my letterer, I hired cover artists, um, and I created issue one of my book. And, you know, I, I knew, I, I said it in my mind going in 
that I was going to make a professional quality book. So I hired pros, um, you know, my artists, my letterer, my, uh, my, uh, my uh, colorist, they had all worked and were working in the comic book industry. So, you know, I took and made a professional product. I paid to have it printed up, you know, and ready to go in a, prof- you know, in a nice real format. And I took it to cons and I started going up to, um, the, the heads of different publishers. And I would ask them, it's like, Hey, you know, I understand you're busy. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Um, can I talk to you while you're walking to your next panel, whatever. And I was amazed to find out how welcoming and open-minded these people were. I mean, they didn't know me from Adam, you know, I, I was just some dude wandering off the street. They had no reason to give me the time of day, like <laughs> but they did, man. They sat down and, you know, and I'm, and I talked with them and it took, you know, it was probably, probably two years of, you know, hitting people up at different conventions and getting to know them. And so finally we got to the point where the book was finished. We were ready to go. And, um, you know, it took a lot of risk, you know, because some, they could have all said no, and I'd just be stuck with all these copies and lost. But, um, we, we got to a point in 20, uh, 2019 where we, we had four publishers. We had our choice of four publishers that we could have gone with and they were all recognizable companies. And then 2020 happened and all of a sudden it went from four to three to two to one to, oh, fuck, we got nobody. Um, so at that point, we were going to go the Kickstarter route. Um, and literally the day we started setting up the Kickstarter, I got an email from Second Sight Publishing. Uh, they were a brand new company. They, they'd never done anything. Cult of Dracula was literally their first book. And so, but they wanted to publish it. And so I canceled the Kickstarter, went over to Second Sight and um, sold so many copies with the first issue that they could not afford to print issue two. So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, the book came out and sold like 15,000 copies. It was a book from nobody, me, nobody ever heard of me, a publisher nobody ever heard of. um, And there's just no reason to buy this book, but they did. And so, um, you know, second sight, no fault of their own. They did everything they could. But again, new company, first book. They didn't have the infrastructure set up. They were not prepared to handle this. <laughs> you know, they were expecting maybe this guy sells five copies and his mom buys three of them, you know. But, <laughs> we, you know, we come in with all this, you know. And so second sight was very kind. And they connected me to um, uh, to SourcePoint Press. And, um, source point took it from there. They reissued issue one and then they went out and, you know, of course published all the rest. And then my next book as well. Um, you know, so here we are, it was a really wild, wild experience, um, as is everything in my life for some reason. Well, but it makes it interesting, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you definitely learn a lot. My life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, you learn about, you know, the ins and outs of the comic industry and, you know, it's amazing this industry as big as it is, is still so very, very small and Mm -hmm. people know one another. And one of the things that I've really loved that I've discovered about the comic book industry is just how welcoming and open and supportive it is. I mean, now there are some jerks out there, you know, of course there's always, as within within any type of, with anything, there's always jerks, but the comic book industry seems to be filled with people who want other people to succeed. At least that's been my experience. You know, I had some really cool artists help me and talk to me and walk me through this and work with me when they had no reason to. 
And, um, I, and so, you know, that's why if somebody ever comes up to me at a convention or if somebody DMs me on social, I always respond with the mindset, how can I help you? Because somebody helped me. I want to be that for you. Um, and that, that's my, that's been my experience in this industry as far as how people, um, you know, how supportive it can be. Uh, so the journey has been wild. It's been long. It's been scary. It's been hard, but, um, I wouldn't change a thing about it and I'm really happy where I'm at. So hopefully they're going to let me keep doing this for a minute. Oh, oh apparently they are. Cause we're going to get into the next project in a moment before we jump into that one. Um, you know, you told me right prior, you know, I was showing something, showing you something. You said, no, no, you got to change that to world of Dracula. What mm-hmm. is this? What's going on? What's the world yeah. of Dracula? So that's a change we recently made, like literally two days ago. Um, so I originally envisioned my Dracula saga to be uh, the way I pitched it to source point and other publishers was it's either got to be one volume of six issues, or it's got to be three volumes of six issues. It can't be two. It can't be four and no, it can't be zero. Cause then I don't get paid. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I wrote it and I started creating these characters and as we expanded the mythology to include the Dracula from different cultures, um, I started thinking, well, maybe there could be more than three. And so I started thinking about how I might do that and how we might. So we're going to pull in um, essentially each one of those, those Dracula from different cultures are going to get their own one shot. Um, so we'll get to tell a story about the dear woman. We'll tell a story about um, Vlad the Impaler. We'll tell a story about Medusa. And so that'll, that, that could be a very cool ongoing thing. And then we decided that wasn't good enough to expand it. So, um, in rise of Dracula issue three, um, I introduce, uh, Victor Frankenstein and yeah. (laughs) So, um, at the time I thought, okay, this is going to be a cool little side plot and, you know, Victor will be, be dead at the end and nothing will matter. It doesn't matter. But then I started thinking, wow, I really like what I'm doing with Victor here. You know, it made him, um, he's kind of a, uh, he's, he's an atomic scientist, nuclear physicist, essentially, that's been captured by the, uh, by the Ordo, or excuse me, the, the Templars. And they're making him work on a project that we don't fully understand yet. Um, so I was like, wow, I could tell a really cool story about Frankenstein. And I can, and I've already introduced him here. So if I tie those together, suddenly my, my, my Dracula universe just got a little bit bigger because we're bringing in Frankenstein and the creature. And so I was thinking to myself, well, if I'm going to do that, you know, why don't I just jump in? Why don't I do these Victorian horror icons? And so I came up with, uh, you know, with concepts um, for the creature from the Black Lagoon and from, for Dorian Gray. And so each one of those series now, uh, they're, they are going to have their own series and it's all tying in. It's all based on this world of Dracula that we've created. So that's why the shift from cult of Dracula to world of Dracula, because now we need to encompass more than just the one book because we're drawing, we're essentially, as someone put it, I'm going to try to do what Universal did, but failed to do. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. make that, make that Victorian horror universe. And hopefully do it well. Uh, I think you're on the right track, homie. It sounds like it. You got me like, all right, I gotta, I gotta hit up my <laughs> shop and make sure they get in source point 
first of all, so I can get all of this pulled immediately. Heck yeah. Right. There we go. Damn. This is the new one. Look at that. What? Look at that. Prometheus. In mm-hmm. Oh, man. Look Ooh. at that. Art. Holy something that Hellraiser. I mean, I'm so Pinhead would be proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, Clive Barker Hellraiser influence, not only in that cover, but in Prometheus and Chains. Uh, so Prometheus and Chains is a play on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, set in the post World War II atomic age. So both Victor and Elizabeth. This is based off a true story as well. Um, they're among the Jewish scientists that fled Germany as the Nazis were rising, came to America, worked on the Manhattan Project and other projects for the military as well. But the Manhattan Project being the most prominent helped develop the bomb and ultimately helped to bring down the Reich. Um, so it's uh, what happens. Um, Victor. Um, so in the process of making, sorry, I was getting a little emotional because this is where the book gets kind of real for me. Um, yeah. It's kind of a little play on a true story. Um, so while working on the bomb, uh, Elizabeth, Victor's wife, also a scientist, um, radiation exposure causes her to develop cancer and she ultimately dies. And Victor is tossed into the deepest, darkest depths of depression And there he becomes obsessed with bringing her back. And so this is where the idea of Prometheus comes in, stealing fire from the gods, stealing the ability to create life, to have a soul, stealing a soul from the gods. Victor becomes obsessed with that. So where my take on Frankenstein differs from the traditional take is rather than an external exploration of the character focusing on the balance between his genius and his madness, which that's traditionally the way we see um, Frankenstein mad, mad scientist, genius, um, arrogant. And then these, this is the punishment. The creature is his punishment for being arrogant and daring to try to steal that fire. Um, So instead of going external, I went internal. And so the book, focuses entirely on Victor's struggle with his guilt, his grief, and his PTSD. Um, I am, I, I'm also a person who lives with PTSD uh, related to my wife's uh, passing. It was a very traumatic event. Um, and so writing uh, Prometheus and Chains has been, it's been very difficult. It, without hyperbole, it's been hell. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I have literally, when I'm writing this book, I, I have finished scenes and turned around and vomited into uh, a, a trash can next to my desk because it's it's that emotionally taxing. Um, you know, my th- I, my therapist is making a lot of money off me because I'm <laughs> writing this book. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's been interesting. Um, it's but it's also been cathartic. You know, it's been. It, I'm as I'm writing this book, I'm dealing, I'm confronting these things. You know, I'm staring that demon right in the eyes and I'm hoping that other people who read it, I mean, it's not like a, you know, it's not an after school special. It's not a, you know, it's not one of those, it's not that episode of say by the bell where Jesse gets addicted to pain pills. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, uh, but I, I I'm hoping, cause there are a lot of people out there, men, especially who suffer from mental illness, from depression, from PTSD, and as men, we're often taught to bottle that up, be tough. Yeah. You know, you, you can't feel that. Men don't, men don't have feeling. Boys don't cry. Well, fuck that, man. We do. 
um, you know, we do. We, we feel. Uh, yeah, we bro, do. A- amen, bro. It's the absolute truth. Of, and that's you know, okay. You know, yeah. it's okay not to be okay. You know, and so I'm hoping that people, uh, people who struggle with PTSD, maybe they see something ref- of themselves reflected in the book. And maybe, maybe one person out there, if it, if it stops one guy from pulling that trigger, just one, it's worth it. And, um, you know, I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping that some good comes of this, but I'm also very proud of the story from a, from an entertainment point of view. It is, it's been very well received by the advanced readers. We've sent it to uh, reviewers. You're going to see a lot of reviews start coming out. Uh, Go Collect, for example, um, is about to name it. They're coming out with an article naming it um, one of the top 10 most anticipated horror comics of, uh, of 2023. Um, so it's getting it's really getting really, really good advanced press um, brought uh, Jordan Dorenzo in to do uh, pencils and inks on this, uh, kept the rest of the creative team together. Alex Zeef is okay. doing colors. Hold on here, though. You changed the artist, right? So, yeah, different, um, yeah, different, you, different series. So different artists. Yeah. Understood. But uh, how did you gauge the artistry here, being that it's such an emotional story? I'm pretty sure that the art has kind of matched the emotion you were feeling since you are tossing a bit of yourself in it. You know? Yes, absolutely. Um, And so for the artist here and um, uh, Jordan Dorenzo uh, has been a friend of mine for years. Uh, He was actually the artist I intended to hire to do Cult of Dracula. He had just come out of SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. He was one of Tom Lyle's students, Tom, uh, Scarlet Spider, Batman, Spider-Man, all that. Great artist. Um, But Tom, when he introduced me to Jordan, said, this is the most promising student I've ever taught. And I 100% agree with him. Things didn't work out in in the beginning with Jordan just because, you know, he was fresh and publishers were telling me, I need an artist with a name. So that's why we went with Henry Martinez. Um, and, um, but Jordan and I became very, very good friends. You know, we, we talked a lot. We hooked up with, at conventions, you know, hung out and all that stuff. So, um, when it came time for Prometheus, I was like, you know, Jordan, I really like working with you. You know, what's going on. We, you know, we're on the, we're drift compatible, you know? So (laughs) yeah, Kaiju reference there. Yeah, I know. I know. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Me too. Oh man. So yeah, um, that's how it all ended up. And and Jordan's art has been able, you know, when a creative team is in that synergy, when we're in the drift, so to speak, magic happens. And you know, it's it's just amazing to me to see how, um, you know, Jordan and I we do connect on that level. And he can he can see the pictures that I'm describing sometimes before I even complete my thought. And so it, it's amazing. It's just like. And because of that relationship, it makes my job of writing a script easier because, like, for example, uh, this may or may not, it absolutely is in the book, um, but in the script, uh, I just wrote, this whole page was, I was like, you know, interior Victor's apartment uh, or Victor's loft, um, six panels, a bug doing bug stuff. Uh, (laughs) So I just wrote a (laughs) bug doing bug stuff. And somehow Jordan knew what I meant and drew the page exactly as I had envisioned it based off of that one little sentence of a bug doing bug stuff. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. And that just, that can't happen if you don't have that synergy with your artist. You know, if you, if you're not, if you, if the writer and the artist aren't vibing, you, you can tell, um, you know, because the, the work suffers. Oh, yep. That's the first, that's the only thing that actually suffers. You see Mm -hmm. it through the work. 
Yep. It's really two. And again, look at this bad boy, folks. Look at that gorgeous cover. When does this baby drop? So uh, that cover, by the way, is by Les Linden Garner. Highly recommend you check him out. Brilliant artist. He's doing all the covers for um, Prometheus and Chains. Uh, but Prometheus and Chains, we're very proud to say, comes out from Red 5 Comics on free comic book day of 2023. Ooh. So uh, May 3rd, I, there's, there's Red 5. Um, great company. I'm really happy to be working with them. Um, and, uh, you know, really, really excited to see what this book will do. Uh, but yeah, it's out on free comic book day. So honestly, I can't think of a better day to launch a book book day because you're going to have all those people at the comic book store looking for something. You're going to have new readers, old readers, everything in between. Um, so yeah, I'm super stoked, uh, to get it out there on free comic book day. And I'm waiting, waiting very, very patiently and excitedly to see which amazing comic book shop's going to bring me out on, uh, on free comic book day to sign this bad boy. Yay. It's going to happen. Don't you worry. We're going to get to see oh, yeah. you. So. <laughs> I threw it out there in case any of your boy, your people watching here are, uh, comic book shop owners. So, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> hint, hint. But I, hint, hint, yeah. And I love, you know, I love doing the store signings. I, I mean, I've done. In the past two years, um, I've done close to close to 50 conventions and store signings. So, you know, I'm I'm hitting the streets out there every weekend. You know, you know, the hustle like we talked about before, man, it's all all I know. All I know. I'm I'm MC Hammer selling those tapes out of the trunk of my car, man. Hey, over here, pop, yo, check these out. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yep. yep. (laughs) That's how you got to do it. You're old school, baby. That's the way mm-hmm. to do yeah, it. Yeah, you got to you, know, you hustle, listen, man. You have to be your own number one fan and hustle. Yep. Exactly. So, yes, you do. Talking about conventions, you know, what's your next one? Where can we see you anytime soon? Um, so I'm actually going to Queens this weekend, um, for for a one day convention up there. Um, so the you guys are in the New York Con? area. Cosmic Con, yeah, that's it. Yep. Yeah, I just heard about this yesterday too. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm, I'll see you there. I'm, I'm considering. Yeah, man, please come, dude. I'm I'm gonna be there. I think this is the the first time they're doing this con. So um, I, I met the people who organize it when I was a guest at Big Apple Comic Con. Um, I'll be back at Big Apple in March, I think. You were at Big uh, Apple? Mm-hmm, yeah. Passed? yeah. Yeah, the Christmas uh, how, show. How, how did I not see you? I, I don't know. I, I may have had my invisibility cloak on. Like You can't see me. <laughs> All right, I'm going to be weird. Yeah, next time I'm going there, too. I was by Blind Adam's table. Oh, okay, hooked, right he, on, he yeah. Me, he hooked me up with a pass. And then next thing you know, he put me to work to film two interviews. Of course. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, I, I interviewed, there was somebody doing a, a documentary. I interviewed with them. I don't remember what their names were, but, oh, um, cool. but the, yeah, that was cool. So yeah, I'm doing that. Um, I think I'm doing one in Happy Valley, um, Pennsylvania, is it Pennsylvania or Virginia? Uh, wherever Happy Valley is, um, I think <laughs> Happy I'm doing Valley that. sounds like a place where 420 friendly, right? <laughs> Word. <laughs> yeah, you know what? If they're not, they should be. <laughs> Um, And then after that, you know, the, the big con start, you know, I'm doing Heroes Con, Mega Con, Dragon Con, New York Comic Con, uh, doing several of the fan expo shows. Uh, So I think, so Dallas, Miami, uh, Baltimore, I think, Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a ton of conventions this year Um, just because I, one, I love it. And two, I I love meeting the people. You know, I get to introduce so many people to my book at these conventions and I, I've, I've gained so many friends and uh, support. I really do look at my readers as my friends because I just can't 
get around to calling them fans because that seems weird to me uh, you know, <laughs> to, right. to imagine that I have fans. That just sounds arrogant. So I'm like, you yeah, you know, fans, my... you're thinking about the ones that, that, you, that you turn on. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm like, you know, my friends who read my comics, that, that's the way I like to look at it. So, you know, I've made a lot of good friends doing conventions and I, I don't intend to slow down anytime soon. Well, then let me tell you as a fan to a creator, thank you, brother. Thank you for being so daring uh, to create, put yourself out there, especially just hearing what, what you've gone through and what this Prometheus really sharing, uh, you know, that takes a lot of courage. So thank you for thank doing you. that. And a lot of people are going through things. So yeah, and thank you for talking about that as well. I appreciate you as, as a fan. So God bless on this journey, bro. You got this. I can't wait to see all of this on big screens and small screens and whatnot. Yes, sir. You know? So Yes, sir. So what's popping with them screens? Though? I mean, for real, what the what, right. what, what, what what's going on here, man? Because I so, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what's going? You're the first podcast that I've done since we closed the deal. So I guess you're kind of you're kind of breaking this news in the podcast. Woo! Breaking news, so. people. Where <laughs> So um, just uh, just a couple days ago, we finalized the deal um, with BR Films uh, to develop um, Cult of Dracula into a 90 minute feature film. Um, and they have sent it into immediate development, which is fantastic. Uh, the book was optioned by Sure Pictures literally the day issue one dropped. Um, what? Yeah, that we signed the option. And, and so, uh, you know, because advanced sales were so good and the reviews were great and, you know, just lightning in a bottle. So Sure Pictures, they did their thing and facilitated the deal with BR Films and now we're, uh, we're in, we're in development right now. Um, we have um, we have letters of intent coming from some actors that are um, very recognizable names. Uh, Tony Todd, I can say, is um, there's a mutual interest between us in uh, in him being involved in the project. Oh, That's just please. a fancy way of saying he's on board as long as we can come up with the money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, so yeah, uh, it's 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 going to be really cool. Um, I'm really not going to have a lot of involvement with the development of the film, you know, because that's just the way it works. You hand it off to of the production team. Um, I will be, uh, you know, a creative consultant. I will have final say on uh, the creative aspects um, and I'll be in the uh, in the writer's room, but I will not be the writer of the uh, the script. I won't be the the, the showrunner or whatever. So um, but BR Films, uh, the company I chose to work with. Um, I think they are, uh, they're fantastic. Um, they do, uh, they've got several movies out on streaming services. Um, uh, Dope Boy Magic is probably their biggest um, movie. Um, uh, it's on, um, I think that one's on Peacock. Uh, then they've got Monogamish, uh, which was also on Peacock. They've done Hallmark movies, things like that. But they're a very good, hungry um, film company, um, with some really cool, hungry people working for them. And, uh, so yeah, you know, I had choices on who I wanted to work with and I chose them. Uh, and I think it's, uh, I'm anticipating it being a very good decision. I cannot wait. This is amazing, man. Look at that. You know, so from something that started as a play <laughs> mm -hmm. about a hit of big screen. Yep. So this is a I mean, yeah, it's going to be, bro. I'm excited. I mean, really am. And, you know, speaking with BR, um, you know, the way the things we're talking about and really and truly the thing that made my decision for me was when we were talking and we were talking about special effects, you know, because we are dealing with vampires and, you know, there's got to be blood, there's got to be gore, there's got to be special effects. 
And, um, you know, we were talking, I was like, look, I would really love to go practical special effects. Oh, like, please. You know. oh, yes. And, Hallelujah. and they were on board. They were in the same way. Um, and before I even got it out of my mouth, cause I was actually thinking, I was like, I want to do, I want to do practical special effects. And so that probably means we're going to have to cut the special effects scenes down because of the budget. And, uh, Mark Wand, uh, who is the, um, he's the, executive producer at um vr films he was like he's look i got you we've got this guy he, they did a film i think it's called the last call um which is also a horror movie and um special effects guy and we're, we started talking to him and you know we just clicked you know we were talking about the same things you know tom savini and all that ca- you know those oh, horror yeah, movie man. cowboy yeah. stuff you know and so oh, that's yeah. that's the direction we're going to go and you know when and in order to do that vr films what they're going to have to do very carefully is be judicious about when um, we use the special effects. Because again, it's a film, it's gonna be very expensive. So, you know, hopefully that means that when we use the blood and gore, uh, it's gonna be very effective in the film. An impactful moment. Because again, yes. that, that, that's, the, that's the thing I don't like about the modern horror. It's, it's, it's just a gore, a gore fest, a gore it's party. Gore yeah, it's so it's like, yeah, it's, it's not fun. Nothing, you know, you just start laughing at all this. There's no impact in that. Yep. You know what I yep. mean? Uh, but I will give credit to Megan. I don't know if you saw Megan. I well have not. Done. It's on my list. Well I can't done, wait. bro. Yes. I, as a horror fan, I love me horror, bro. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm old boy school. My first horror movie was Hell Night with Linda Blair in the movie. Oh, theater. heck yeah. Movie. Great movie. Yeah, bro. Yeah. So, you know, I'm telling you, this chan right here, what a fun, cool movie. Well mm-hmm. done. Well done. I appreciate that a lot. All right. Thank you. Some, some, there's some yeah. hope yet for this young horror generation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Also, right. us old school people, man. We'll bring it back. <laughs> awesome, brother. And and with that, thank you so much, Rich, for hanging out, bro. You rock, yo. You're amazing, folks. I'm gonna put this up again. Follow him on Instagram and Facebook. World of Dracula. All right. <laughs> Stay and check and in tune with everything that's popping. You heard it. Of course, you can pick up the books. Of the cult from Source Point Press, you know, mm-hmm. go visit LCS and that new joint is dropping right there is from Red Five Comics. Again, let me show off that beautiful cover. This is going to be an amazing book, Prometheus in Chains. All right, so make sure to check it out from Red Five. Yes, sir. All go right. to your local comic book shop and ask them now to pre-order it because it's going to be hot. It will be hot. As a matter of fact, thank you for the reminder because as soon as we're done, I'm going to. Facebook mine real quick. Please add, all right? And you guys yes, better also do the same. And of course, as usual, you know what it is. Check out Max and the Family. Everything we do at ComicCrusaders.com, UndercoverCapes.com. We got shows dropping all week. You know, Definitive Crusade, Outside the Panels, Old Timers Comic Book Show. We got it all. Drunken Chat, yeah, and Iwepa. <laughs> That's right, baby. We do it. We do it. Thank again, Richard. Thank you, my fellow Crusaders. You know what it is. Hasta la próxima. Weepa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. <laughs>